Be turning in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick up here and continue with our, uh, our new theme, Be Rich. Are you ready to be rich? <laughs> that's, uh, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? I actually wouldn't know. I've never been rich. I wasn't raised in a... I, I wasn't raised in a family that, that was anything other than uh, middle class, and so for me, uh, no knowledge. By the way, my wife Chris is in Atlanta. Uh, she left on Thursday, and uh, we'll get back tomorrow. She is uh, helping her mother uh, make a transition from living uh, in her apartment to uh, a, an assisted living uh, situation. She has Alzheimer's, and so uh, she's uh, you know in the process uh, of uh, of losing uh, her memory and things there. And so anyway. They're trying to, to deal with all the uh, uh, sort of family things that you might imagine with uh, someone that's going through that. So anyway, uh, I'm, uh, I'm batching it. I dressed myself this morning, so uh, uh, if, if, if I don't look right, then uh, you know why. Uh, but uh, anyway, I... You know, some guys are pretty dapper, you know, before they get married and they know, uh, you know, how to dress and they look good and all that. Uh, but uh, others, you know, when they get married, uh, you know, the, so the subtitle and the uh, gossip around uh, those who know him is, yeah, he really needed to get married, you know. Uh, and that's probably what they were saying about me uh, when I got married. But anyway, Ephesians 2. Let me give you a little background on the book of Ephesians, just to uh, set your mind here, and then we're going to read the entire uh, chapter together, and I'm going to give you uh, a little bit, uh, hopefully to uh, uh, something to think about and remember this great passage of Scripture. Ephesus was the capital of Ionia, which was a, uh, a, a part of the world that we know today as Asia Minor or Turkey, the country of Turkey. And uh, at that time it was known as uh, Ionia. It was part of the Roman Empire. Ephesus was a large city uh, by the standards of that day, a great city of commerce. It was a uh, sort of the hometown of the uh, princess, uh, uh, the, uh, the cult of uh, Diana, uh, the big statue of Diana that was there uh, in uh, in that city. Uh, it was uh, a church that was started. And if if you uh, want to go back and study, interesting thing is there's actually more on the church in Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament era. Because you have the planning of the church in Acts 19, then you have the entire book of Ephesians, which we're studying, and then you have, uh, in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, some things said specifically about the church in Ephesus. And so you not only have more information, you have sort of timed information. You have the, sort of the beginning, the middle, and even further down the road as far as time is concerned uh, of, of the church and what was going on uh, in the church at Ephesus. And so if you read the book of Ephesians sometimes, you might even get a little bit of a different feel. Different letters that Paul wrote had different reasons. Uh, and in some cases, he's answering questions. In some cases, he's dealing with specific situations. There doesn't seem to be any specific situation that he's writing about in the book of Ephesians. And so you have more of a letter that's just written to a, a bunch of people that he knew in the church there in Ephesus. And so it has a, a, a very close kind of feeling, and a feeling of, hey, I'm just writing this to you to encourage you. 
We all know how it goes in life, maybe more in a conversation. If you have a conversation with someone and, and you feel like there's a definite agenda, you ever have a, a conversation with someone like that? That they're talking to you because they want to straighten you out on something. You've, have you ever had a conversation like that? All of us who are married have. I know that. Uh, that that's, that's a given. Uh, that, you know, your wife or your husband, however it may go, uh, sits you down and you're not talking very long and you realize... Wow, this is just not a uh, how are we doing conversation. Uh, there's an agenda here, okay? And some of the letters of Paul are that way. Sometimes, on the other hand, you have a conversation and you realize, you know, this is two people who really enjoy each other. We're talking and uh, there's no big agenda. That is a little bit more what you have going on in Ephesians. Okay, you there? Ephesians 2. He's going to turn very specific now and he's going to talk and we'll see this in the very first thing he says. He's going to say, okay... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you lived when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called, quote, uncircumcised by those who call themselves, quote, the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, 
You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow, fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. For in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Unbelievably rich and expressive passage of scripture. I hope you agree with me on that. I'm going to break this down into three different sub-thoughts of the things that he's talking about here. Number one, remember who you were. And he talks a fair bit there, and we'll go back and look at that. He says, I want you to remember who you were. Number two, remember who you are. There's a lot here, not just about who you were, but who you are now. And then thirdly, I want us to look at the idea of remember why. Remember why these things are true in your life. Now, it's important to say most of the church in Ephesus were Gentiles. A smaller percentage were Jews. The church started, it, they were, were, it was almost all Jewish. But as time went on, there were fewer and fewer Jewish members of the church in a sense of in a, in, in a percentage way and more and more Gentiles. And the reason for that is obvious is that this was primarily a Gentile city. So it's a church, the longer the church went, the more the church became more and more Gentile. And that's why he talks uh, uh, a lot here about this idea of the Jews and the Gentiles and the issues related going on with them. First of all, who you were. He talks, I want you to remember who you were. And he says different things here. I'm going to uh, uh, go back through this scripture here and I'm going to pick out nine different descriptions that he uses talking about the time before they became Christians. And let's look at these together, okay? Who you were, who you are, and why? I want you to remember those things. Okay, first of all, he says, you were dead. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, dead can have sort of two different kind of understandings. Dead can be that, that there's a total loss of life. Right? But dead also can be that something is dead to touch. Has your hand or your arm or your leg ever gone dead? We call it dead. And, uh, you know, it's really numb and everything. And, and you, you pinch it and you can't really you feel it. It's dead. We, we are, we're grateful for that when we go to the dentist. Because, you know, they give us a, a shot. Uh, or you uh, you take the gas. I've never taken the gas, so I, I don't know exactly how that is. But uh, you know, you get the shot of Novocaine. Is it Novocaine? Is that it? That, that you get shot with, and, and all of a sudden you can't feel anything. You can sort of hear things still. Uh, that, that's one of the greatest experiences of being at the dentist is you can't feel exactly. Man, you hear everything he's doing in there. And we all relate with that. But he says, remember that you were dead. And there was a time in your life when you had no spiritual life, 
There's many of us in this room that we can remember that. We can remember a time in our life where God, where spiritual things were not a part of our life. We, we can't relate with that. Now, some of us grew up going to church with our parents. And so we went to Sunday school and we went, you know, and so church was always, our, our spiritual things were a part of your life, maybe, uh, as, as you grew up. But for some of us, not at all. And for the Gentiles, probably nothing. There was no real spiritual life that most of these people had. He says, at one time, you were dead. He goes on in verse 2. He says, you followed. How's he, how's he put it here? He says, you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And he goes on and he talks about this. You followed the ways of the world. You can remember back to a time where it was super important for you to fit in with the world. Once again, many of us can relate with that. There was a time where that was one of the biggest things of your life. Oh, I want to make sure I fit in. Make sure I don't stand out. I, I, I just want to be like everybody else. And, and, and that kind of thing. He says, you know, remember that? That's what you were. You were following of the ways of the world. You were just like everybody else. You weren't appreciably any better. You weren't appreciably any worse. You were just like everybody else around you. Now, he also makes a comment here, and this is a, a reference here to what we would call Satan or the devil. Paul, as he writes here, writes about this. He doesn't say that this is a, a maybe kind of thing. He says that you followed the ways of the world, the spirit of the world that was going on, and he talks about that, that, that particular kind of thing. You know, here's the thing about Satan. It doesn't make any difference whether you believe in Satan or not. Some people say, well, I don't believe in Satan. And, and uh, you say, well, uh, say that in a sense of, well, I, if I say that, I don't believe uh, in Satan, then Satan has no influence on your life. You do not have to be a religious person. You do not have to be a spiritual person to look at the world around us and understand there are some pretty dark, there are some pretty dangerous aspects of the world that we live in. And we live in what we would consider a country that's pretty educated, pretty arrived, pretty knowledgeable, and that kind of thing. Yet even in the world where there's more education and all those kind of things, I'm telling you, you don't have to look very deeply at the United States of America. You don't have to very look very deeply at L.A. County and say, you know, there's some pretty wicked, dangerous, dark... Parts of the world around us. And that's what he's talking about. He says, this is what you were. You were living in that kind of world. You were living in that kind of uh, experience. He comes on down and he says, uh, uh, in, in verse 3, all of us also lived among them. This is where he's talking to the Jews here. He said, now, wait a minute. Now, all of us, hey, you Jewish brothers and sisters, don't get too high and mighty. All of us also lived among them. At one time. Even if you grew up going to Sunday school. Even if you grew up in a religious family. Even if God has always been a part of your life. Don't get too high and mighty here. All of us lived among them at one time. Sometimes religious people can be the most difficult people in the world. To actually develop any conviction about spiritual things. Because their religious background deadens them 
And they don't listen. They say, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. No, 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 you don't know it. You've been all around it all your life, but it's never really gotten very deep inside of you. If you understand what I'm saying. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you get anything. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that your heart becomes any softer. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you actually learn anything that makes you a better person. You went, you sang, you talked, yada, 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 bada boom, bada bing, and you go home. Nothing significant happened in your life. And there's not a religious person in this room that grew up going to church that can't relate with that. You go, you do your thing, and you go. And you, you go, you go, you know. But nothing significant happened. And that's why he said, hey, now wait a minute, you Jews. All of us lived among them at one time. But he uses this term here, gratifying the cravings. This is sort of the third here uh, 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 description. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying the, the cravings. That's a pretty base way to describe people. You know, when I feed my dogs, Jack and Lucy, man, I'm telling you, you talk about craving and devouring. You know, I, I, I pour the, 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 you know, the, the food in, in the little dishes that they eat, and I'm telling you, by the time I'm pouring it, they know what's going on. And they're there waiting. Oh, oh, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I, I set it down, and I, it, they are eating it before it hits the floor. <laughs> now, we, we understand that with a dog. We say, well, that's a dog. Dogs are dogs. That's why we call them dogs. Dogs act like that. He, he actually uses an analogy here. That's, he says, you, you, you act like an animal. The truth of the matter is, we have a sinful nature within us. Every one of us. The cutest, sweetest girl in this room. You've got a sinful nature that has the possibility of dark, ugly, craving, dangerous. All of us do. He says, and you Jews, don't you get high and mighty here. You're not any better than anybody else. All of us also live on craving. And he comes on down, he says, by, like the rest, by nature we were objects of wrath. Wow. Now come on down in verse 11. He says, therefore remember, he says, I want you to you remember, you, you Gentiles here. He's going to talk about the Gentiles. Look at verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. Why is it important to remember this? Because you're going to appreciate what you have if you remember what you didn't have. Remember that you are separate from Christ. Are you getting all these down? Dead. Follow the way. Object of wrath. Uh, cravings. Uh, excluded. He said you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship. You were an outsider. You weren't the cool kid. You weren't the insider. You weren't the country club member. You were excluded. You weren't good enough. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. I know I've used this analogy before. Most of you aren't golfers, so you don't get that. I like to play golf. 
But I'm not a member of the country club. I'm not a member. I'm excluded. That's why when I drive to church here, I drive by on the street and I look inside. I look through the bushes at the San Gabriel Country Club. <laughs> and although I can probably play golf better than a lot of their members, I'm not a member. And I can't go in there and say, listen, I can play golf better than three quarters of your members. They would say, yes, and so... Because I'm not a member. You can just take your little golf clubs over to the public golf course wherever you want to play, and you can play. But you ain't playing here because you're not a member of the club. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't care who you are. There's something about being a member or being a not a member. Where we were late with that. We're like, well, you know, I guess I'm not a member, you know. I'm not that important. Whatever. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners without hope. Without hope. All of us at one time or another, we've had a circumstance in our life when we realize, I, I, don't, I don't have a prayer here. I'm not going to win this. If you want to put it in a, in a sense of a, of a contest or an athletic kind of thing. You ever gone into an athletic situation? Most of us probably have, we can remember, where you, you're, you're going into a game or you're going into a circumstance and you're like, you realize, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, short of a miracle, I'm not going to win. Yeah, you ever had that experience? That doesn't feel very good, does it? Without Hope. We always like to believe there's hope, you know, so that we can maybe win. But he says, without hope and without God in the world. And he comes on down to verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away. Far away. Now, all this, guys, is who you were. And you say, man, Marty, you're really whacking on this thing. I'm just trying to, I, I'm using the words he used. You were once all these things, dead. You followed the ways of the world, objects of wrath, gratifying the cravings of your nature, excluded. You were foreigners. You were aliens without hope, without God. You were far away. It is important that we remember where we were. That's what he's saying to them. I want you to remember where you were. Now, he says, and I'm, I'm sliding into part two here, I want you to remember who you are. Verse five. Sorry with, with verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. We're alive. Not dead. We feel it. We connect with it. We're alive. Verse 6. He says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? 
Look at that again. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. People talk about, well, when Christians die, they go to heaven. This, this would indicate that there's a part of you that's already there. You, you're, you're already seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Is who you are. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. Who made it? In some areas of life, it's crucial. We want to know who made it. You know, you buy an automobile. You want to know who made it. You know? There, there, was, there was a time that, that if you bought an American car, it was the best car. Now people say, ah, Chevy? I wouldn't own a Chevy. Nah. I'm, I'm going to get a Nissan. I'm going to get a Mercedes. Why? Because it's made better. Oh, really? You can identify something as either good or not by, well, who made it? We are God's workmanship. You're not a Ford. <laughs> You know what Ford stands for? Found on road. Dead. <laughs> You're not a Ford. You're a Maserati. You're a Mercedes. You're a Nissan. You're a Toyota. You're sure to go 250,000 miles. Because... Of who made you. you? We are God's workmanship. For some of you, this is crucial. And I, I know I've touched on this before. But for some of us, this is crucial. We have bad self-image uh, image things. We look at ourselves in the mirror of life and we say, Well, you know, I'm not pretty as somebody else. I'm not as athletic as somebody else. I'm not as academically talented as somebody else. You know, and, and we go through all the reasons that we have of why we're subpar. Or why we're, we're not as good. Well, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And for whatever, well, I, you know, I, I, had, I, I was married and I'm divorced now. Or, or you know, my, my children are all a bunch of, you know, uh, ruffians or whatever. You know, I, I haven't, I wasn't, I wasn't a good kid. I'm not a good adult. I mean, I've never had a good moment in my life, you know, kind of a thing. You are God's workmanship. I don't care how you cut it. That's pretty good right there. Because I'm pretty sure God doesn't look down on what he made and say, you know, that's a call right there, you know. Hey, you know, I, 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 I must have made him on Thursday or something like that. <laughs> we are God. That's who we are. He says, I want you to remember who you are. You're alive. You, you, you're, you're, you're already seated in the heavenly realms. You got a spot in heaven that's reserved for you. You are... God's workmanship. You are, in verse 13, brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 15, you are one new man. 
And of course, what he's talking about here is the one new man, is the two are, are combining the Jew and the Gentile together. You know what? I, I think if there's one thing that people notice about our church more than anything else when they visit, it's not necessarily uh, uh, my preaching or, or, or even that we preach the Bible. You know what people notice about the church more than anything else is one thing that I am so proud of and one thing that I would always hope to believe that would always be something they notice about our church. They come to our church and like, wow, you've got all kinds of people in your church. You know the most segregated time of the week is Sunday morning. We got the Asians worshiping with the Asians. We got the blacks worshiping with the blacks. We got the Latinos worshiping with the Latinos. We got the whites worshiping with the whites. And nobody seems to care. <laughs> but they come to the church here and they're like, wow, you guys got all kinds of people here. That's, that's such a really different. How do you do that? Jesus. Well... <laughs> We don't do it. He does it. It makes the two one. And so we have what he's describing there. And he comes on down in verse 18. He says, you have access. He says, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You have access to the Father. You have access to the Father. Now, wait a minute. You have access? You can get into the really important spot? You have access? There's not a person in this room has access to the President of the United States. You say, well, no, I can write him a letter. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you have access. You may not be able to talk to your governor, your senator, your president, and the political context of the world that we live in. You can talk to the creator of not only you, but of all you ever will know or has ever been known. You have access. Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, last week, we, we, you know, things happen in our life all the time. But, and, and, and we have access all the time. But there's some times in your life where you realize, man, it's a good thing I have access and I'm going to take full uh, advantage of the access I have. When Chris Nakaishi called me on Friday last week and said, hey, they're taking Jackie to the hospital. Can you meet me over at the hospital? I was glad I had access to the Father. Man, things happen in our life sometimes that throw us off our, our, our normal life, and we're scared. I asked, I asked Chris, I said, Chris, are you scared? He said, I'm scared. I said, you should be. There's times where life scares us, and we, we, we are, we're frightened. We don't know what to do. We've got access. You see, he talked about earlier, they have no hope. What do you have when you have no hope? You have fear multiplied. We have access. Man, that, that's pretty good stuff right there. And we're citizens. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are citizens. You belong. You're here. You're legal. Okay, so we talked about who you were. We talked about uh, uh, who we are. Now let's talk about why. 
Why? Because we've got to remember the why. The why is crucial. He says in verse 4, But because of God's great love for us, why has this taken place? Why were you this, and why are you now that? Because God loves you. Because of God's great love for us. We all like to be liked. We all like to be loved. We all like to be appreciated. We all like to be admired. It's crucial for us to understand that God loves you. This is written in, in, in a general sense of, of everybody. But, but look back, what, what's he start with in verse 1? As for you, you, God loves you because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy. You know, we get high and mighty sometimes in life. And we say, hey, I just want to be treated fair. Well, I understand what you're saying, and I want to be treated fairly too. But I tell you what's better than fair is merciful. <laughs> I would really rather be treated with mercy. You ever make a meal, those of you who cook, I cook sometimes. You ever make a meal that isn't really a very good meal and you know it? I mean, I mean, honest to goodness, it's not an A plus. It's not a B. You know, it's probably maybe a C minus. Uh, you know, it, I, it, it's edible. You know, you're not going to die from eating it. But, but uh, it's not going to make the food channel uh, either. Uh, you know, you want mercy. God who's rich in mercy. What's God got a lot of? Mercy. That's good, because you know what? I mess up a lot. I know some of you better, but I mess up a lot. I'm not nearly what I need to be. And I need mercy. I need God to treat me like I'm really better than I am. That's what mercy is. Is you get what you don't deserve. You don't really deserve what you get. But you get it, not because you earned it, but because of God's mercy. Matter of fact, he makes a big deal of that, doesn't he, in verse 8. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. No one! Not anyone in this room can say, I deserve what I have. Deserve's got nothing to do with it. Because if you got what you deserved, you'd be in big trouble. What you get is you get God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. So that no one can boast. There is no reason for anybody in this room to think that they're any better than anybody else. It doesn't make any difference what your skin color is, what your gender is. It doesn't make any difference what your heritage is. It doesn't make any difference whether you went to college.
Doesn't make any difference if you're really pretty or you're not. Whether you're academically really good or not. Doesn't make any difference if you live in a big house with a lot of rooms. Or if you live just in a house that's got just enough rooms. Doesn't make any difference what your address is. Doesn't make any difference how much money you got in your retirement account. Doesn't make any difference if you don't have a retirement account. It doesn't make any difference if you got black hair or blonde hair. Oh, blondes have more fun, says who? I mean, come on. We, as human beings, we find every conceivable way to, to create division. We'll divide over anything. You like chicken? No, I'm a steak guy. Oh, I eat vegetables. Oh, I mean, come on. Man, we can run this thing forever. You're, you're who you are. The two have become one. God has molded the people of the, of the kingdom of the church together as one. They were all, they were, we were divided about everything. But the why is not because we all said, hey, let's really be neat people. Let's really be good people. And let's all be one and we'll all get along together. The only place that can really happen effectively is with God behind it. Now, even then, we got to work at it. Because the sinful nature still lives within us, and we still sort of end up doing those things. We still end up fussing with each other sometimes as Christians. Now, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves when we do. We need to repent when we do. But at least we can have it in the kingdom of God, if you understand what I'm saying. But the why of this thing is because of His great love, because of His great mercy, because of His great kindness. But I want us to understand something more. The why is not just that. The why is also, look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, wait a minute. Why? We go from this to that. We go from what we were to what we are. Paul says, I want you to remember who you were. I want you to remember who you are. And I want you to remember why. Why is because of God, not because of you. I don't want any of you thinking you got anything to boast about. But why is also because there's something to do. Follow me here. If God's will were completed in your life, when you became a Christian, then you would have become a Christian and the next thing that would happen in your life is you're swept up into eternal glory. If that, if you had done all that was supposed to happen in your life, then when the moment you became a Christian, boom, up into heaven, and you're gone. Everything's awesome. You're with God for eternity. You're at the other side uh, for eternity. But see, this isn't what he says. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's something that needs to be done with the balance of your life. What is it? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I know I'm going to jump ahead here, but look ahead to chapter 4. Uh-oh. Supposed to be on chapter 2 this week. We're beating up chapter uh, 2 pretty good, right? 
But look at verse 11, 411. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. What is the leadership of the church supposed to be doing? Preparing God's people. Who's that? Us. Preparing God's people for what? Works of service. Come on down to verse 16. For in him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as what? Each part does what? It's work. Wait a minute. He says, I want you to remember who you were. I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember why. Why is because of God, right? But why also is because there's something you're supposed to be doing. And it's a four-letter word. <laughs> work. There's something you're supposed to be doing that's called work. <laughs> Some of you are having fun with this. Work. Well, what is the work that you're supposed to be doing? Let me give you a couple specifics. You are supposed to be working at loving each other. Now, why is that work? Because we are all still sinners, even though we have become... We, we remember who you were? Remember who you are? But we are still sinners. Therefore, we still have the potential to be, as my dad would say, the north end of a south going horse. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Yeah. The junior high class says, I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not a man of steel. Uh, yeah. Enjoy that now. That goes away. We, we, we are all, we're all sinners. And so our sinful nature is still alive within us. And so it is work for us to love each other. It's work. It's, it's, it's work for husbands and wives to love each other. My wife's in Atlanta. I can say whatever I want to about my wife today, right? I can tell you, my wife's hard to live with sometimes. But you know what? She would say her husband's hard to live with sometimes. There you go. Your children are hard to parent sometimes. Children, you are hard to parent sometimes. You're, you're knuckleheads to, to deal with, you know? You're hard to deal with. Some of you are looking around at your parents. You're like, oh, man, we want confirmation on that? And the parents are saying, yes, yes. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, parents, you're hard uh, to, to love sometimes. Kids say amen to that. Man, my mom, man, she's hard to live with sometimes. My dad, he's hard to live with sometimes. You know, hey, your neighbor's hard to live with. person next to you is hard to live with. We're hard to deal with. And, it's, and therefore, it's work for us to love and accept and deal with each other. I want to challenge every married couple in this room here. I know it's hard to live with your husband or your wife from time to time. I know it's work 
sometimes. It's work for my wife. It's work for me with my wife. But you know what? It's a work that God wants us to do. Why did God take you from what you were to what you are? So that you can learn to be like God and love somebody that's not easy to love. Because God loves you and you are not easy to love. That's work. It's work to love those in the world who are not saved and really try to help them come to an opportunity in their life to be saved. It's work. Evangelism. Sharing your faith. It's work. I'm glad people did the work with me. Don't you feel that way about those who shared with you, those who studied the Bible with you? You know what? At one time, you were work. At one time, you were on the study list. At some time, you were on the close to being baptized list. Now you're not on that list. Now you're putting together that list. Now you're not on the list. You're you're hoping that you have a list of someone you're studying with. You know, if you're not studying with someone, right, you're not sharing your faith with someone right now, you're like, oh man, I feel a little guilty, Marty. Are you trying to make me feel guilty, Marty? No, I'm not. But if you do feel guilty, you probably should. (laughs) You know, sometimes Christians get really over-touchy about things. Oh, I don't want to feel guilty. Well, then quit being wicked. (laughs) You say, well, I'm trying. But you're failing. And so sometimes you feel guilty. Sometimes I feel guilty. We live in a world that's predominantly made up of people who are not saved. Brothers and sisters, there should be a burden on us that we feel to reach out to our brothers uh, in the world, our, our sisters in the world that have not yet become Christians. They're people that God loves too, that they just don't know what you know. They haven't had the opportunities that you've had in your life. Yes, there's work to do. But the real theme that I want us to go away with today is remember. Remember. We forget. I forget. Remember. Sometimes, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't remember by Monday what I preached on Sunday. I'm sure you don't if I don't. Someone asked me, what did you preach on? Uh, huh. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. If I don't remember, I'm sure you don't, okay? But I want us to try to remember, okay? Why? Because that's the title. Remember! Remember who you were. Remember who you are. And remember why. I hope our study, our textual study, we really beat up uh, chapter 2. I enjoyed this. This is a fun textual study. But I hope you really enjoyed Ephesians 2 today. And please, brothers and sisters and friends, remember. Let's have a great time of fellowship. You are dismissed. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, Caesar uh, has, uh, these are uh, invitations for people for our Be Rich Thanks. So, hey, if you want to evangelize, we did mention that. If you want to evangelize, here's some cards you can hand out to your friends and invite them to church. Have a great time of fellowship.